feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. And welcome to another solo episode. So... There was an interview in between this solo episode and the last solo episode, but this is going to be kind of a continuation, a follow-up of the last solo episode talking about um, the neuroscience related to trauma and resilience because I have so much to say about trauma and resilience and I could not at all get to it all in one episode. So today we're going to be kind of coming at it from another angle. So if you haven't already listened to that episode, we covered a lot about um, kind of how trauma manifests itself in the body related to physical symptoms that come up. You know, it's not just uh, psychological symptoms that that happen when a person experiences psychological trauma. And so I kind of started to unpack that a little bit, how the um, physical symptoms manifest and what that looks like and a way that I have learned through my research and through my own personal experience um, uh, to, to kind of get into the body and um, kind of make that mind-body connection to heal from trauma and those physical symptoms, and especially the physical symptoms that come up when um, we are triggered, which trigger being triggered is, you know, if you're in recovery, you might be really familiar with this. Um, it's also one of those things that's kind of a buzzword, uh, being triggered, and you'll see things like posts on social media, and they're like trigger warning because this might trigger you, Um But when I say triggered, I mean like taken back to that place or like when something happens, you get – it reminds you or um, takes you back to that place of stress, of trauma, and you might start to experience physical symptoms related to that, you know, kind of mental trigger. And some people, myself included – um, in the past, don't make the connection between mind and body. Um, so I think that's like, in my experience, it was related to how I would like continue relapsing. You know, I would experience a trigger and, um, then it would send me down this, like, um, this path of like, you know, get the stomach flip, the quickening heart rate, and it just, all these physical things that happen and it just didn't feel good. And I didn't make the connection between that trigger and the physical um, implications that followed. And so then that's how it would result in a relapse because I just wouldn't feel good and not know why. And then I, the only way I knew how to deal with not feeling good was to, um, practice some sort of escapism from it that um, would result in, you know, codependent relationships and using drugs. For me personally, um, that was kind of the path. And so if you want to learn more about that, um, you can go back and listen to that episode, um, the one called Cultivating Resilience Through Trauma-Informed Yoga. Go back and listen to that. It's just me 
talking about my research and some of my personal experience about that, but there's so much more to be said. I wanted to get into the neuroscience of it. Um, from my, you know, limited understanding, I like took some classes on this in school, but I'm in no way uh, a neuroscientist, but I do have a pretty deep understanding of the mind-body connection and some of the more like anatomical, biological, uh, physiological things that structures, ways this plays out and um, kind of a way to, to approach it with yoga being my framework, but there are lots of other frameworks to kind of get into the body, um, out of the head. So all that rambling, we'll get right into it. Um, so on the last, it, the, a good place to start, and I got into this a little bit on the last episode, but um, little recap, review, if you already listened to it, um, or synopsis, if you haven't, uh, the central nervous system, um, you have, so you have your central nervous system and your peripheral nervous system, and that's like, your central nervous system is your brain and your spinal cord. Your peripheral nervous system is your um, the rest of your body, basically, you know, and your body is always sending information, sensory information to your brain. So those are the central and peripheral nervous systems, and I, I didn't actually talk about those two um, on the previous episode, but what I did talk about was... Um, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. So these are the kind of four different classifications of nervous system. So it has to do with your, um, your brain and how, how sensory information is processed and then carried out by systems of your body. So your sympathetic nervous system represents when... It's your fight or flight response, basically. is It's synonymous. When your sympathetic nervous system kicks on, you are now in fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, or feed mode. Um, and so that's uh, shortened or, you know, actually it's lengthened from just fight or flight to all those other additions. Um, but most people are probably familiar with your fight or flight response. When you get stressed out, Um, when something, and so we exist in this world now where we're not, uh, most of us aren't hunter gatherers, right? We're not, um, experiencing coming face to face with an actual literal predator, like a tiger, um, or whatever. We're not, that's not happening, but for most of, I mean, maybe you are actually a hunter or gatherer and you might come face to face with a predator, predator, but um but our so our perceived threats can be and often are purely psychological in nature like stress at work uh the chronic stress of poverty or living paycheck to paycheck the stress you know all these things that we all we all have some sort of stressor in our lives you know and when we when we come in contact with one of those things our brain experiences it as a threat, and that kicks on our sympathetic nervous system, our fight-or-flight nervous system. It 
there is a cascade of hormones released. Um, so it's like, you know, your brain is making things happen in your body, right? So we, we can acknowledge, at least in this context, that there is definitely a mind-body connection, right? You're, you perceive a threat with your brain, whether it's a, a physical threat like a predator or a psychological threat like the regular stressors of life, um, your brain is what perceives that threat. Actually, your, you know, your eyes, your ears, your sensory, um, organs, sensory, your body sends that sensory information to your brain and then your brain processes that and tells your body what to do about it, which manifests as kicking on that fight or flight response, that sympathetic nervous system, um, And so then there's also the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, I I began to unpack these on that previous episode. Um, And so they're, they're just a good place to start here. So the parasympathetic nervous system is ideally what we exist and operate in when we're not in the face of a threat. And the idea is that we don't want to feel threatened constantly throughout life. You know, if you have like a really high stress job and you're all the time in, in fight or flight, um, mode at work that can cause things like, you know, CEOs have high blood pressure or whatever, you know, we see these things, we know that that's true. Um, that chronic stress can manifest in, um, ways of like chronically being in fight or flight mode, which is not good because your parasympathetic nervous system is your rest and digest when you go into that fight or flight mode, what's happening with this cascade of hormones is it's directing, you know, your blood flow. Um, in yoga, it would be called your prana, your breath and your blood flow. Your heart and lungs are pumping this this life force energy through your body. But in like science, that looks like your blood flow to your to your or all the different places in your body that carries the nutrients and the oxygen at the most basic level that your cells need to survive, you know, on a very micro level, um, that's your blood flow is your, your nutrients and the oxygen. That's what cells need. Um, and when you go into fight or flight mode, your, your blood vessels to your organs actually vasoconstrict. They, um, they shrink. So they send less blood flow there. Um, and your your like capillaries in your muscles vasodilate. So your body, your brain is actually telling your body through like hormones um, and neurotransmitters to redirect this prana, this life force energy, specifically your blood flow away from your, um, your organs, specifically like your digestive tract and, um, to your skeletal muscle and then your skeletal muscles getting like all of the resources. And so this happens also, the same thing happens when you exercise. So there is a healthy, um, you know, I often say in my yoga classes too, that it's like we practice yoga, the asana practice of yoga, especially like a power yoga class, um, that can be more exercisey is like a control, a controlled stress environment. And when you do get into like cardiovascular exercise, or whatever, any, any exercise that it places good stress on your body and your body does go into, um, that fight or flight mode. And I tell people this too, actually, like I lead yoga hikes and stay tuned later this week. I have an interview with, 
the owner of the yoga height company that I work for. So that'll be really cool. But I tell people in those classes that I'm like, it is normal. Like we've just been hiking for an hour and some change maybe when we um, start to do our yoga practice. And I'm like, you probably should notice that your breath is quickened. Your heart rate might be quickened. Um, For some people, the hike is harder than others. But when you've been walking for an hour and a half um, or ex- doing any kind of exercise, your body goes into fight or flight mode. It The sympathetic nervous system cuts on in that situation too. And that's not a bad thing. So it's not a bad thing. Like we're not trying to always be in rest and digest. We need both of these things. We're just trying not to be chronically stuck in that fight or flight mode because then we're never getting the rest and digest. So I'm not saying any all stress is bad, any stress is bad. I'm saying um, we don't want to get chronically stuck there, and we also don't want to experience things um, that send us into fight or flight mode when there's not an actual threat, you know, like a trigger. There, um, something that triggers you is just a reminder of a situation. It sends your body through the exact same physiological response of when you were in a situation where you were unsafe, um, and when you experience a trigger, usually you're not in a situation where you're unsafe. I mean, sometimes you are, sometimes you're triggered because you're in the same situation again and you're in with the exact same threat again. But I gave an example of this on the last episode as well of a time when I was triggered and I kind of worked through this, um, tapping into my, uh, parasympathetic nervous system with my breath by using my breath to calm that fight or flight response because in the situation where I was triggered, I was safe. So that's how I began to rewire my um, patterns, my samskaras under the yoga tradition, my neural pathways, um, to not kind of get swept away in that fight-or-flight response in that situation um, and to not let that send me on a spiral of stress and not feeling good. Um, So that's a very important piece of the discussion is the kind of nervous system responses, right? Um, But then so we'll talk about um, the the pieces of the brain that kind of are responsible for this. So um, the part of our brain that is responsible for our high-level reasoning – So I'm going to use an analogy today. Um, There are several systems that I'm just going to kind of gloss over. These are very complex, and I'm trying to, like, simplify it as much as possible for the purposes of our discussion. So we're going to talk about the parts of your brain that are responsible for your kind of, like, threat response and the parts of your brain that are responsible for your high-level reasoning, and they're different parts of your brain. So um, it's not coming from your high-level reasoning part of your brain when you experience um, a psychological threat or any kind of threat. When your brain perceives a threat, it's not coming from your high-level reasoning part of your brain. And that's um, part of the issue that I want to assert with Um, so in this episode, I should have probably introduced this earlier, but, uh, this is just the way my brain works. We're rolling, um, 
in the recovery community, in the rehab program that I went to, and in um, lots of lots of areas of the recovery community, they're like, what you don't talk about, you don't heal or whatever. Like the, this notion that you have to talk about what you went through um, and put words to everything to kind of get over it, to resolve the trauma. Um, and so I want to be like clear again, I mentioned this in the previous episode too, but again, I'm not talking about like, don't go to talk therapy because that doesn't help. I'm not trying to say like, do this instead of talk therapy because when you go to a a licensed therapist, a, a counselor, they have all these tools that are beyond just, um, like a fourth step, which I know like a fourth step is like, take your inventory. So it's like, look at your shit or whatever. Right. Um, look at your patterns and that can, that can be beneficial. But I experienced when I was told to work my fourth step, it was like, you have to write down or say, or list every single bad and hard thing that you ever went through that happened to you that, uh, could have traumatized you. And just, just saying it is not for some people that does like putting words to it is like the way to get it out. And, um, that can be very helpful. You know, that's another, uh, thing that I kind of use in my astrological approach is like, we have all these archetypes of the planets and the signs and the things, and they all represent like different parts of the human experience and putting words to those things can be incredibly helpful. But when you're doing that without, um, kind of getting into the body and seeing how that results in um, in your body, the symptoms that come up when you do talk about those things, um, it's not it's not enough. Just talking about, just talking through it. And in my experience, I actually went through this experience in the rehab I was in. They made us do basically like a big long fourth step. I don't want to get too much into more details right now about that, but. Um, it didn't, it didn't resolve things for me. Just, just talking about it, just saying those things. It just like made me cry. It didn't make them go away. It didn't help me understand it any better. And so I want to say like, that's the shadow side. And so going through this with a therapist or whatever can, um, it can help you come to a point where you understand better. Um, why you respond certain ways to certain things, right? But for me personally, where I found um, the kind of key to unlocking that for me was becoming really cognizant of, really aware of how my thoughts impact my my body, right? That mind-body connection that I only got from yoga. And so that's why I'm like, I was also in therapy when I was going through this, so... I'm what I'm trying to communicate is that it's important to have both. So, with that said, um, we're talking about the prefrontal cortex is the part of your brain that is responsible for your high level reasoning. And my mom always said, like, it's not fully developed until you're like 25 if you're a female, and maybe even later if you're a male. Um, you know, so your your high level reasoning. Uh, it's like the last thing to develop in 
your uh in your brain. Like I remember on my 25th birthday, my mom was like, you're really an adult now. Your brain's fully developed. Yay. You know, as a joke, but it's true. You know, it's true that like our executive functioning, like high level reasoning, decision-making part of the brain is not fully developed until you are way past legal adulthood. You know, it's like your mid to late twenties that, so we're going to call that your wizard brain. Um, your your high level reasoning part of your brain prefrontal cortex is how you um make sense of the world how you like make really tough decisions it's the part of your brain that can weigh out pros and cons and really think through things uh reason through things it's the logical part of your brain that's the prefrontal cortex and that's at the front of your brain and that's why we have these big foreheads compared to like monkeys and neanderthals or whatever like our this part of our brain like evolved later and it gets developed later in life and then behind that is your neocortex which is the part of your brain that is responsible for language emotions and thoughts and so it's um responsible for a lot more than that and I'm trying to like preface this by saying of course I am glossing over some of this I'm just highlighting the parts that are important for this discussion so what I want what I'm trying to point out is like so you have your high level reasoning develops later and we're going like kind of backwards through what develops so before that you develop before you develop your high level reasoning you develop um language and emotion and it is in a separate place than your high level reasoning system of your brain and then even behind that is your limbic system. It's uh, what is you may have heard of as your lizard brain. So I say that so that we can use these little fun little keywords, your lizard brain versus your wizard brain. So the limbic system is responsible for your sort of physical response to things. So um, some of that like... Uh, uh, the cascade of hormones that happens uh, when you perceive a threat. Um, and so we still haven't even got to the part of your brain that perceives the threats, okay? So that's, that's next. Um, so your limbic system, the lizard brain, it's uh, responsible for your survival. It's like, like we're just living in kind of the, the animal world here, like just... Uh, functions of survival, not your higher level reasoning. Like, um, should I take this new job in a new city or not weigh the pros and cons of like, well, my, my job that I have now is already providing for my survival, but this one might make my life a little bit quote unquote better. Right. That's like high level reasoning, prefrontal cortex stuff. The limbic system is like, um, hunger. I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, anyway, so it's, we're going backwards through like the order, like, so kind of back into the brain physiologically, anatomically, and back in time in order of developing, um, and evolving. And then finally there's the amygdala, which is kind of, um, very back of your brain, like brainstem type stuff. And it is, the amygdala is, I've heard it called your fear center. It is literally, it's the part of your brain that's responsible for 
um, perceiving threats and kind of initiating the response to those threats. And it is far from your prefrontal cortex. It's like when you say you get startled or something, right? And it's like, I don't know, your cat or like somebody walks in the room and you didn't hear them. They startle you. You like, you just respond to that without thinking about it. So that's what I'm saying is like the, the amygdala is your threat response. Um, it, it doesn't, it's, it happens. You respond to threats without logically rationalizing through them. Um, these, these systems function like way differently. And so that's why I'm trying to highlight that like reasoning, trying to reason through, um, why you responded to a threat in a way, in a, like a trigger, um, it's not always logical, right? So that's why I'm like reasoning through it is not always the way out of it, um, but reasoning can help you um kind of see see that see your patterns so that you can um kind of hijack the system to work more in your favor but that's why i'm saying that like the neuroscience even here points to um just reasoning through things is not like Clearly, like, I'm a very logical and rational person, but I, like, went to a lot of therapy before, you know, when I found yoga again, I was, like, still in therapy, but um, it was just the therapy by itself, even for me, was, like, not enough because I'm very, I can rationalize things and I can even rationalize them, like, to my therapist and um, it's, like, it doesn't, it doesn't stop the triggers from sending you down this spiral of stress, right? The reasoning part doesn't. And, and therap- there are therapists that do have, like, tools for that. Um, like EMDR is a good example. It, um, yeah, anyway, not to go down that kind of rabbit hole because I'm not, I don't know, I've never had EMDR done. I I'm not like certified to do it on others. I just know that that is another example that um, therapists, counselors often use in their practice that kind of involves the regions of the brain and the body in kind of resolving the trauma response. So um, if you think about this in the terms of like the development of a child, and maybe this is just, I look really look at it this way because I have a one-year-old, um, And my one-year-old is totally in the realm of, like, survival. And he's kind of just breaking out of, you know, like, when you have a tiny baby, um, when they have a need that that needs to be met, like, they're hungry or they're tired um, or their diaper needs to be changed, you know, they cry. And that need gets met. And then it's interesting because now my... My one-year-old is, like, bordering on toddlerhood. He's, like, transitioning um, from being a baby to being a toddler. And it's, like, fascinating. I can see this stuff develop before my eyes. Like, he's developing language. Um, He's developing, like, his own personality, his own thoughts and emotions about things outside of just, like, I have this need 
that needs to be this physical need that needs to be met. I'm going to do what I need to do to get that need met. Um, so, so it's the, just the baby framework is really good to think about this because, you know, for a baby, they act out when they need, uh, something, a need to be met. They behave, they use their behavior because they don't have language yet. Um, to to describe like hey mom i need my diaper changed right or whatever um they don't have the high level reasoning like um when my kid gets cranky because he's tired he's like probably not thinking of it that way um but he's starting to you know we have this whole bedtime routine right and he goes to bed and and now he he likes it he likes going to bed but um so it's like he know he's starting to kind of grasp um the more like uh thinking through his physical needs but he's still very much in that place of like he acts out a behavior behavior is his language when you don't have language behavior is that language um and so so we teach babies to self-regulate and self-soothe, right? Um, that's kind of like a really big overarching like goal and theme of parenthood is like you have this little tiny person who just like they only know about getting their needs met that and um, you try to teach them how to self-regulate, how to exist in the world. Um, and when they like, experience a threat to their well-being, like they're hungry, um, then that response moves upward through the levels of the brain. So that analogy is to say, like, as adults, um, when we get stressed out, when we have a trigger, it attacks that, I don't want to call it like the lowest level of the brain, but like Physically, it is lower um, when you're sitting upright than your neocortex, um, but kind of the more base. Like if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, it's like the base of the pyramid that like your physical needs are the base that everything else kind of rests on top of. And um, those kind of need to be met first. And when you are triggered, that's what gets activated is that amygdala, that threat response, that fear center and so you're taken back into this like primal, um, babe, not, not like baby, you know, but like you're taken out of the reasoning brain, out of even the language and emotion brain and purely into the land of like physical response, survival, very primal. Um, so I've heard it said when we stress, we regress. And so if you think about it, like, um, Behavior is language for babies because they can't talk and they can't like say, hey, this is what I need. So they have to act out what they need with their behavior. And then so we see this with adults, you know, they get in that chronic state of stress and they're acting out, you know, that's kind of to get into the addiction as a disease discussion. It's like, it's a symptom, it's a behavior um, trying to deal with, trying to cope with some need, right? Um, 
And so like some physical or emotional need that's, uh, we don't know how to verbalize how to meet that because we're stuck in this land of the lizard brain, the, the threat response. Like when you're constantly dealing with threats, when you're always in that fight or flight mode, um, you just get stuck in the land of, of using your behavior as language. You're, you know, you're, you're out of that place of your high level reasoning, like the reasoning, the logic it's out the window. Um, and so that's why, like I say all this to highlight, um, why I don't think, you know, I'm hugely against like telling war stories when it relates to like trying to heal from addiction. And like a lot of people will say that, um, they're like, we don't tell our war stories, you know, like in the rooms and anonymous programs, they'll say like share experience, strength and hope, right? You know, focus on like the strength and hope you gained from these harder times. Um, but so that's why it's like being in the place of telling war stories or just talking about it, uh, trying to reason through that doesn't get you out of that physical threat response when you're just trying to, um, reason through whatever, um, and with talk therapy. So, so all that, yeah, that's, I'm, that's the reason I bring all of this neuroscience stuff up is to say, um, that's why we really need to get into, into our bodies and see how this stuff is playing out. Like, um, maybe it does take some reasoning to notice what exactly it was that triggered you or sent you into that place of what felt like a threat, especially when it's something psychological that felt like a threat, not like um, perceiving an actual uh, like predator or whatever, because most of us, that's not what it is. Um, it's not, it's, we don't come face to face with a threat, a predator. It's like something was said or uh, some sound happened or something was done around us or we even read something or saw a photo or whatever. It's like purely like the brain perceives that. Uh, the, the sensory information goes via the peripheral nervous system to the central nervous system, the brain, um, and it puts you into that fight or flight mode because your brain perceived a threat at the most basic level beyond reasoning. Um, it's, it's below deeper than reasoning. Um, it happens without that higher level functioning, thinking, thinking, right? So higher level functioning and thinking, you can't like think through these things. Um, so that's all to say, you know, I just wanted to kind of add this on because, um, it just goes along with that, that creating resilience episode that I did. Um, it's kind of a lot to say. And so that's why I have some really cool interview guests coming up. And one of them actually is a person in recovery. And I'm, I really like to focus, you know, sometimes you have to give things context and I'll give examples from my life in this podcast um, I have to give things context and use an example, but I'm not going to just sit here and tell you or ask my guests about uh, some of the horrible things that they went through 
because even addict or not, like everybody's probably been through something stressful and that's just not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on, um, the strength and hope, how they overcame that, you know, because like, that's kind of my whole point with this episode right here is that, um, just going over the hard stuff. Yes. Addicts telling their story or people that have been through hard things, putting words to those things, um, can kind of validate those experiences for other people or help them put words to it or make them feel less alone. Um, but I think we can do that in a way without kind of triggering anybody or re-traumatizing anybody um, or having that person have to re-traumatize themselves. Because I also see this as like um, people are like, they have this story that they just spout off. It's like, you know, I experienced that. It's like, especially as a person in recovery, you're supposed to just have a story. Like, this is my story and I'm going to ramble off like from childhood, um, what I went through and like, they all are pretty similar. Like, you know, some people either had a really bad, hard childhood or a pretty good childhood with some hard things. And then, uh, in high school or middle schools when they started dabbling and then, um, they're off to the races from there. And it's like, that's not the part that I want to focus on. That's not, you know, maybe work through some of that with your therapist, um, or, you know, somebody, but that's not what I want to process myself or with my guests on this show. I want to really highlight how, um, when you move through, like, move through those triggers and then you can get back into the high level reasoning, back into that life. But high level reasoning through those triggers is like not the way. Um, so yeah. Um, somebody suggested to me that I end my episodes with kind of a synopsis. So I start out the episode telling you a little, um, synopsis of what I'm gonna go over and so now I'm going to try my best to start ending the episodes with some brief bullet points of uh kind of what I just told you summary I guess um what I'm what I'm hoping that you take away from this so I explained all of the how the kind of uh nervous system two different nervous systems actually four different nervous systems. Uh, so you're the central and peripheral nervous systems that are just purely like sending neurotransmitters, sensory information, um, from the body to the brain sending, um, then like the next command or whatever to do with that sensory information or to make your muscles move or whatever from the brain to the body. So those are, those are those two nervous systems. And then I talked about the other two nervous systems that are responsible for either, um, ideally you should most of the time be in rest and digest, like to allow your, your digestive system to function properly, your, your nutrient or your, um, organs, central organs to get lots of nutrients and good blood flow and feel in a state of calm. You should ideally most of the time be in that parasympathetic nervous system state, the rest and digest state. But when you experience chronic stress or, um, perceived threats, 
you or even exercise puts you in that sympathetic nervous system state and that's okay um it's healthy so having some stress is healthy for you um but getting stuck there um is not healthy for you getting stuck in that fight or flight you know the nutrients and blood flow are being directed away from your digestive system and kind of your vital organs that can cause problems and um, it can also just not feel good so when you perceive a threat whether you so then I explained kind of the regions of the brain and how this works so when you perceive a threat um, with that amygdala with that threat response your fear center um, and it's not with your higher level reasoning part of your brain, uh, you might get stuck in a place where your body is kind of acting out this sympathetic nervous system, this fight or flight response, and it just doesn't feel good. You know, it doesn't feel good in your, in your digestive tract. It doesn't feel good. And, you know, your heart rate is usually quicker. Your respiratory rate is quicker, your breathing rate. Um, and it just doesn't feel very good. And maybe, your higher level reasoning part of your brain can't figure out why. Um, And so that is all to say that when we stress, we regress back to that um, survival mode, that um, not being able to put words and um, kind of emotion, words to emotions and feelings. Um, And so it it can kind of hinder... um, our relationship to ourselves, right? And um, so then our behavior can kind of um, act that out in ways that are maladaptive, not healthy. Um, so that's what happens when you get triggered. When something triggers you as you get through this um, threat response and it moves upward through the levels of the brain and it can impact the way you reason through things, you you might not seem so rational and logical all the time because your rational, logical brain can't understand what the more basic survival mode part of your brain is doing. Um, and so some people call that like amygdala hijacking, your fear center. You're living from a place of fear rather than a place of love, right? That's another way to put that. Um, you're living in this kind of survival mode, threat response mode, and it gets in the way of higher level functioning when you're stuck, you know, see also Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's hard to self-actualize when you're stuck in um, trying to meet your physical and emotional needs, especially when you can't reason through why you're not feeling like your physical and emotional needs are met. And that is all to highlight why, even though I have some guests booked with some pretty incredible stories um, related to recovery or hard things they've been through. I want to highlight the part of their stories where they were able to break free from that and um, kind of flourish, right? I don't want to highlight the part of the story that's the war story because getting stuck in that place keeps us in that lower uh, the lizard brain, right? The war stories. Um, so I just don't, I reject that, uh, model, the telling war stories. I don't have any use for it here. Um, and if you feel like you need to process through war story, through things you went through, um, 
I recommend seeing a therapist. And so thanks for joining me. And I will have, I think, some exciting announcements next week. Be on the lookout for that. You will be able to find them on my Facebook or Instagram pages, both just Yogi Scopes is the handle, Y-O-G-I-S-C-O-P-E-S. And you can also go to my website, yogiscopes.com. We'll have links to my Facebook and my Instagram, and I will link those things in the show notes and be on the lookout for some super fun guests I'm interviewing this week. I've got a lot of cool stuff lined up for y'all. And continue to just study yourself, know yourself, use the tools you have available. I highly recommend yoga and astrology, obviously. That's why I say keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. We'll see you next time.